0: From the Teradata Pulse Real-Time Operations Center in San Diego, California, this is Datacast. Hey, who are you and what do you do?
1: My name's Tim Miller. I work for Teradata Corporation. I've been here over 30 years. Most of that time has been spent focused on advanced analytics, and in particular, the power of really pushing those analytics to the data as opposed to taking data out of data stores and bringing the data to the analytics.
0: And I hear you know a little bit about
1: data science. What is data science? So to me, when I think about data science, I think of it as an analytic process. And there's a ton of hype out there. All these buzzwords are being thrown around. And we are doing a lot of reinventing the wheel right now, to be perfectly honest with you.
0: We as in the industry.
1: We as in the industry. Meaning
0: that even though data science is really hot, there's a ton of job openings for data scientists. I think I'm hearing you saying that this is not
1: new. We've been doing this for a long time. Uh, as one example, Sir Francis Galton in the 19th century uh, theorized and applied linear regression. And that's one of the most popular techniques today to, in, in building a predictive model to estimate a numeric value.
0: Wait, but that's before computers.
1: Exactly.
0: What? <laughs> so data science doesn't even need computers. <laughs> well, they help. Let's they put help a lot?
1: Yeah, they help a lot. Going back to the process. Um, so you're saying data science is the process? Data science is the process, okay. right? It, it is an empirical process where you think about a hypothesis or a business problem, and you run through the process in the course of completing it or addressing it.
0: I imagine that over the amount of time that, that folks have been doing data science, way longer than uh, we've existed on the planet, they've come up with some processes that, that everyone can agree on as being beneficial.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And there's some, uh, I would say, pseudo-standards out there, but the whole premise, again, is, is based on... Um, an empirical process, right? And the one that I gravitate more towards is something called CRISP-DM, which is the cross industry standard process for data mining. Uh, And just the fact that it uses the data mining word will tell you it was created quite a few years ago by a consortium that included NCR, Daimler Chrysler, and a couple other companies. But the idea was to get everyone together and kind of agree on what is kind of a standard process for building analytical models. And that process kind of begins and is, and is founded in what is the business problem I'm trying to address, right? That is key. I remember when I first got involved in this, people would come to me and go, I got a, I got a data mining problem. And you ask them what it was and you go, well, you know what? We could probably build an OLAP cube and answer that pretty quick. Or that's a, that's a query I could write in like less than a page of SQL. So people really didn't understand at first, you know, how what are these analytic techniques and how can I apply them to solve my business problems? So Meaning me, they, were,
0: they were diving into um, specific techniques without kind of understanding where they were going?
1: Exactly, yeah. It's kind of like doing clustering for clustering's sake or, or something along those lines, right? It's, it's, again, there was a lot of hype several years ago around this as well. The second piece is what I call exploratory data analysis, right? So this is understanding the data that you have at hand, understanding the statistical properties of that data, understanding how it's distributed, understanding are there outliers in that data? Because these are all things that you're gonna have to deal with eventually. Is this then the first step in CRISP-DM? The first step is actually the business qualification. Oh, it was right? actually the business qualification Yeah, what part? is that business problem? right? Because you're going to always go back to that. Am I still addressing this business problem? So that's kind of fundamental to And it. is that process sort of a group activity within a company? Absolutely. So it, 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 another key point, and thank you for bringing that up, because it is a key point, is data scientists can't do this in a vacuum. There's not too many data scientists out there that are also domain experts. So it's very important that the people who understand the science of data analytics work with the domain experts and the solution of that business problem.
0: Okay, so the data scientist might come in and work with somebody who's um, an expert in retail, and the data scientist won't necessarily know even the, the questions they want answered. So at that point, they're working together.
1: Exactly, yeah. That's I, Ideally they would. Um, but. Uh, the key, the key is is to have them working together. You need the domain expertise along with the, the scientific uh, expertise.
0: You say ideally as if sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, I've been thrown into situations before in, in industries that I wasn't familiar with whatsoever. Um, and that's the first thing I ask is, okay, where's my domain guy? You know, who's going to answer my questions I have about the business uh. so that I go about the analytics in the correct way? Okay, so that's step one of the CRISP-DM process then. So then step two, we were talking about a little bit before, is the exploratory data analysis. So this is where I'm looking at all my candidate data, figuring out where it is, and understanding how it's distributed, what its statistical properties are, um, are there outliers I'm going to have to deal with, et cetera, et cetera. So these are things that I'm going to have to deal with in the next phase, which we call data preprocessing. Now the new terminology for that is is feature engineering, Um, but it's it's basically the idea of I have my raw data and now I want to create variables that are going to go into my algorithms to perform a prediction. Some people call them predictors, other call them independent variables, but these are the things that the math is going to look at and try to infer or predict whatever it is you're modeling.
0: At this stage, is the data
1: ready for analysis? Is it clean? Is it in this step of the process, you're doing it you're doing all those things. You're addressing oh, okay. the cleanliness of the data. You're addressing outliers in your data. You're addressing the the really ugly things and the ugly parts of, of data analytics where you end up spending a whole lot of time because data is ugly in general. So you're identifying all those things in preparation for actually creating the variables that will then go into the model. So that's kind of data pre-processing. I throw all that into this big bucket called data prep, right? It includes the cleansing. It includes the feature engineering. It's really where the art of data analytics is, right? This is where your experience as a data scientist, working with a domain expert to come up with these variables that have been in the past, proven to be highly predictive for your problem.
0: That's interesting. And then I bet the cleaning part may even require domain
1: expertise sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to understand from your, your domain expert, you know, what do these things mean? You know, is it an all an all Is it 0 and right? right. Those, those types of things. Is this an outlier? Is this an outlier? Exactly. And they might not know, so you have to point it out. You know, this thing is, is ra- rarely occurring in this particular variable. What do you want me to do with it? Because it's going to influence the, the, the algorithm at the end of the day.
0: It could mean nothing, or it could be a, an enormous uh, exactly. inflection point of some sort. Exactly. When you mention variables, I expect that these are sort of the properties that you know you'll want to do analysis on. And so when you're choosing those, you're, you're kind of creating a sort of a bucket of possibilities then for doing the analysis? Is that the point of picking out the variables?
1: Yes, absolutely. So it's a really a good idea to create as many variables as you possibly can, because a lot of these algorithms have, are capable of picking the ones that are most pertinent based on whatever type of algorithm it is, right? Maybe it's a regression. So it's every time it iterates over the data, it's changing a coefficient value and it's determining, oh, this is the number one variable in this model, this is the number two, et cetera. So it's it's really important to generate as many of these things as you can because the algorithm itself may just dump them out at the end of the day. I thought a technique might be like, well, we want to do analysis
0: on this and this, but you're saying pick out as many variables as you can because you might not necessarily know
1: which are relevant? Your domain expert's going to certainly help you in that case. But yeah, I mean, I say the more the merrier. Now, now, some people might disagree with that. There are techniques, though, that I can use to combine these things. Uh, a technique, uh, classical techniques, factor analysis, right? So I'm going to input a bunch of variables into factor analysis, and it creates factors, which are combinations of these variables. And then I can use those factors as my variables into my analytic algorithm. So there's techniques to deal with this. You know, you're not in a typical retail or financial problem. It, it might be a little different than, say, high-tech manufacturing. High-tech manufacturing, I've seen data sets that, you know, are tens of thousands of variables. That's huge. Whereas you're not going to have that many in, you know, maybe a more uh, traditional retail environment or financial environment or tel- telco. What is typical? It varies by industry. The reason that high-tech manufacturing uh, potentially has so many variables are all these sensors. So we've done a lot of work with semiconductor manufacturers, and the sensors that they have built into their manufacturing processes are incredible. The amount of data that they're able to generate for uh, any given part of that pipeline for creating a silicon.
0: So for things involving the Internet of Things, where there's, uh, you know, uh, thousands maybe tens of thousands of sensors the amount of variables could be truly
1: impressive yes and and hard to deal with too right Uh, dimensionalities is a problem particularly for when you're trying to do this whole idea of i'm bringing my data or i'm bringing the analytics to the data Right, because we have some limitations in in things like relational databases. Uh, You know, you can't you can only have so many columns in a table and that sort of thing. So you got to look at pivoting data and other techniques so that you can actually represent columns or variables in in rows of data.
0: So we're on step number three?
1: Sure, yeah, we've talked about uh, first the formula, the qualification of the business problem and really understanding that business problem and working with that domain expert as kind of step one. And then step two is when you're exploring your data, understanding what there is within my data domain, um, and then looking at the statistical properties, the data distributions, the outliers, and those sort of things. Step three then is transforming it into variables that I'm going to be using in my, in my algorithm. So these are your predictors. And we talked about this is how the art of data science comes into play and really uh, where the data scientist and the domain expert, if the data scientist isn't that domain expert, really work together quite extensively to build out that candidate set of variables based on the business problem.
0: When you say predictors, does that mean literally any
1: variable? that can be a predictor or yes some it's all terminology right and that's a big problem that we have in this in this industry I, I think in general it's just a lack of kind of shared yeah so a dependent variable is the variable that i'm trying to make a prediction on right yes or no this person is going to churn how much is this person worth to me as a customer that sort of thing right Independent variables, then, are the predictors, right? So these are all of the pieces of data that you assemble with your domain expertise and your data science expertise that are going to result in making a prediction of that dependent variable. So it could be an equation, like like we talked about linear regression, one of the oldest techniques around, right? It can be a coefficient for every variable and only picking those variables that are most pertinent to the model, and then that's your equation, uh, for calculating the value of your dependent variable it could be a decision tree where you're looking at all the independent variables and making decisions based on their specific values whether they may they might be some categorical value like true or false uh, zero one a and b whatever or whether they might be greater than some value or less than some value so the predictors are
0: effectively the inputs effectively the inputs to all the dependent variables
1: Correct. Okay, and we don't know any of the dependent variables before we do the analysis. Is that correct? No, you do need to know. That's that's an important point. You need to understand, again, go back to your business problem. What is my problem? Is it a churn problem? Is it a customer value problem? Uh, Is it an acquisition problem? What is it that I am trying to build an analytic model for? And I have to, if I don't have that data already, I have to manufacture it in some sort of a way, right? So maybe I'll look at an account end date, if I'm on a financial uh, institution, and I might change that, derive it in such a way that if it's if it's still null, that might mean that the account's still open. So that's a non churner. Whether it, whether it, when it does have an, an end date associated with it, that means that person left or closed that account, and that might be a churner, right? So you ha- you. It's very important that you're when you're building these variables out, you might have to build a dependent variable as well, and that's so that you can predict future behavior Based because you have this past behavior. Exactly. Okay. That's what, that's what data science is pretty much all about. Got it. You summarized it very well right there, but it's a whole process in getting there, right? But I, at the end of the day, am trying to use historical information to make predictions of the future, whether those predictions are a binary decision of yes or no churning or acquisition, or it's an, uh, an, an inference or a uh, estimation of some numeric value.
0: So, Tim, if my count is correct, we've kind of talked about four steps so far. And the interesting
1: thing has been that we kind of jump back and forth a little bit. That's, that's a really great point in that this process is very iterative. So it's not like strictly a waterfall. It's not a waterfall at all, and, and agility really helps. During each phase, you're going to have to kind of continually go back and make sure, hey, Am I still addressing the business problem as an example? Okay, so that was like, even though that was our first step, making sure
0: that we understand the business problem
1: really uh, echoes throughout all subsequent it, steps. It permeates throughout, and, and it's really indicative of the iterative nature of this process, oh, okay. right? Once I do my exploratory work and I say, okay, these are the variables I'm going to generate, I got to go back and I've got to run that same exploratory analytic on my data that I just drive, those features that I just created to just make sure I didn't screw anything up. I have a crazy question. So
0: let's say that you're in the data preparation phase. Okay. Is it possible that you might just find out then that you don't have the right data to, to understand the business problem? Absolutely. Okay, so, so literally as you go from step to step, they build on each other and they kind of require the, the previous step. But it, it's not so, you know, it's not so segmented. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's great to list out a process, but you got to understand when you actually are implementing that process, what really happens, right? So not only are they dependent on each other, it's important to go back and make sure, as I was saying earlier, that you didn't screw things up. I need to make sure that the variables I derive are still relevant are still statistically correct according to this analytic that I'm doing. Okay, so you might not make it all the way through
0: the process before you figure out that you really need to revisit earlier steps.
1: I think by following a process, it really helps you be more agile because you're going to fail fast, hopefully, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? and maybe go back to the drawing board. And that's fine. Uh, we find ourselves doing that a lot out in, out in the field in, in practical situations. And no shame, you've potentially saved yourself months of work. Exactly. So great. Okay, so we've talked
0: about one understanding the business problem, two the exploratory data analysis, three the data preparation, and we've kind of we're kind of on the cusp of the next step. I think.
1: Yes, yes, we are. And we talked a little bit about how long this stuff has been around, and, and, and not to minimize the fantastic research that's going on today, and this whole world of deep learning um, and a, AI a, and AI and and all of that, um, but it's kind of important to look at the historical roots as well. And and there's a lot of of business problems you can solve today with these classical kind of techniques. And we can start by talking about regression as an example, if you'd like, right? So this is where I'm gonna look at all of my variables that I've created, and I'm gonna look at how important they are in making a prediction of my dependent variable. So as I iterate over my data, I am doing a variety of multivariate statistical techniques that are creating these coefficients which is just a multiplier to my variable and when you add up all these things together that is supposed to be what your prediction of your dependent variable is and by multiplier you're effectively trying to uh, determine
0: the the weight of that predictive variable in the result effectively a weight
1: yeah and it can be a, it can be a positive weight it can be a negative weight oh right? okay so this is where a lot of linear linear algebra comes into play a lot of matrix manipulation which might not be the greatest thing for a, for a database, right? So we talked about pushing those analytics down to the database. Um, what we've done uh, in the past is we've actually used the power of the database to create a matrix so that you're not dealing with all the raw data anymore. And then you can use in-memory uh, techniques to transform that matrix and do the matrix manipulation, other matrix manipulation, matrix multiplication, et cetera. So the benefit of that is, you're doing the analytics where the data lies. You're doing the hard part. The right? hard part, okay. Yeah, you're doing the, the heavy lifting. And it's really the first piece of a technique like regression is they look at your raw data, they transform it into a matrix. So why not do that in a parallel, efficient manner? And then you can take that data outside and do your, your matrix algebra. Gotcha. So although we try to do as little of the
0: analytics outside where the data lies as possible, uh, we could do a lot of that work in the database and then potentially use other tools that integrate with the database to do some of that work.
1: Absolutely. But you try to do the heavy lifting uh, when there's a lot of raw data in a a parallel environment. Especially with Teradata Vantage being a massively parallel
0: system. Exactly. Uh, That's a a great place to do the, the matrix creation. Correct. In the step modeling, what differentiates modeling from data prep?
1: Well, data prep is really uh, creating the data set for the algorithm. So, the way that these, that, that these algorithms work in general is that they need to look at the data in what we call an observation format. So, let's say you're modeling at a customer level or an account level um, or a household level. The data that you show the algorithm, the data that is input to the algorithm, has to be one row per household customer or account, right? So that's this whole creation of your variables. Has
0: to be or just makes everything like a million times easier? It has to be. Has to be. Yes. So that's kind of the atomic unit then of the analysis. Exactly. Observation format. Got it. Observation format. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I know what that means. Thank you. You're very welcome. (laughs) So is that part of the modeling then?
1: That, well, that's really the data prep piece. That's right? still the data prep. That, that's okay. still the data prep. And, and we keep talking about this. We keep going back to it. And there's a reason for that. This is where you spend a lot of your time, right? A majority of your time is on the data prep. So even when I'm modeling, the next step of, after modeling is evaluation. I might look at the statistics on my model and go, this is garbage. I got to go back and generate some more variables. Oh, interesting. Right? So again, so this we're talking is very- about the iterative nature of the process. Oh, no.
0: And I know when you and I have done little experiments, too, a lot of times in the model evaluation, we determine that data wasn't in the right format for kind of optimal analysis or whatever. So this is sort of a loop, data prep, modeling, model evaluation, back to potentially data prep again. Exactly.
1: Or potentially even EDA again. <laughs> I might say, oh, oh you know Exploratory data analysis. I might need some more data that I didn't consider before. Okay. I've got to go all the way back there. So it's, it's very iterative, again, trying to fail fast.
0: All right, so we've talked about it all starts with a business problem. You go to exploratory data analysis, data prep, and then modeling and model evaluation. Let's talk about these. Sure. So you have the data prepped. You're happy with the state of it.
1: Now what? (laughs) Now I got to go back to what's that business problem I'm trying to solve? Let's say it's a churn problem. This is something that's called a supervised problem where I'm going to give the algorithm, a dependent variable, it looks at all the independent variables in order to make the prediction on the dependent variable. I also might want to do something based on that model around clustering, which is an unsupervised technique where I give it just the independent variables and it lumps them together in things that are similar, trying to maximize the distance between things that are dissimilar.
0: Oh, interesting. So. So in the case of supervised learning, you're giving a history of, of inputs and associated outputs.
1: I, I'm giving it direction. I'm providing a dependent variable that I'm telling it to predict. And I'm providing the independent variables. But there's historical data prediction. on there. Absolutely. So you have actual it's data. Based, it's, it's all based on what's happened. And unsupervised, you have
0: no actual uh, results. You only have the independent variables.
1: By unsupervised, it means I'm not giving it the direction of the, the dependent variable I want it to predict. I'm saying, here's all my independent variables. I might have to give it a number of clusters. There are clustering algorithms that, that help you identify the number of clusters. Um, and that's it. And it goes and it, it tries to lump these things together into X number of clusters, depending on uh, what I've given it. So
0: you're really discovering, discovering that during the data science process. Whereas with supervised learning, you already have historical data that points the way you're just trying to figure out how to predict that for
1: future data. That's true. Cool. And you can lump a lot of these algorithms into those kind of two things, right? Classification and regression, that's a supervised learning problem. Whereas a clustering or a segmentation problem is, is an unsupervised problem. And then there's other branches of text analytics and time series and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I think when you touch on all those... It, Classification regression, clustering segmentation, time series, um, or text analytics. Those kind of four categories right there probably address 90% of what people are doing today.
0: When you're doing data science, how do you know which algorithms to use? Which to
1: try first? Again, it all depends on the business problem. Is algorithms are going to give you different things. A logistic regression as opposed to a linear regression is going to predict in its binomial form one of two answers, yes or no, right? So that's a technique you want to use for churn. There's also another thing called multinomial logistic regression where I actually can do more than two. So maybe that's an upsell, right? I want to upsell, cross-sell... Three additional products or something like that Um, decision trees are nice because they're a blend of that right they're a blend of classification and regression so that the dependent variable can be a churn yes or no it can be a red white or blue multinomial uh, uh, value or it can be some numeric value that i want to
0: estimate so it depends on the business problem you're trying to solve and the kind of answer you're looking for
1: Right. So, so you have your domain experts saying, okay, this is a churn problem. This is how we define churn. You have your data scientists coming up with, okay, I want to maybe, I'll probably use a bunch of these different techniques, right? I'll use a logistic regression. i use a decision tree. I might use a neural network as well. I'm predicting the same thing. I'm using three different techniques. What is the best model at the end of the day? Is this still part of model evaluation or have we gone beyond that? We're, we're getting into model evaluation. Okay. Right? So we're, we built the models now, and we just had the example of I built three different models using a, a regression or a tree or a uh, neural network. So we're testing. We're testing our models out. Okay. And that's the evaluation process, right, is I want to now understand how good these models are. Right, and there's a variety, a bunch of different techniques you have here. You can you can look at um, a confusion matrix, that will give you, for example, the number of false positives um, and true negatives. I got so when did I predict it wasn't going to happen and it really did, or it didn't really happen and I predicted it would. Happen. I see. So you're testing this with real data from
0: the business, ideally, exactly, and then testing it against. Uh, testing those answers against what you're actually getting. Exactly. All right. So in this, in this case, you're not necessarily predicting the future because you're just evaluating whether it can do that.
1: Yeah. And, and again, the iterative nature of, of the process, uh-huh. you're actually iterating in this model evaluation stage, right? Because there's a training. I've trained my model. Yep. I have a model that I can now test with known data to make sure it's doing the right predictions, run it through a confusion matrix. And then there's um, the evaluation piece as well, where I do it against unknown data. And then I maybe have to run a campaign uh, in order to get the data to come back to to show me how well the models really do. Gotcha. And that's never going to
0: work first try. Right? Rarely. (laughs) Rarely? Yeah. If it does, you're just like, you know, pat yourself on the back extra hard. Yeah. All right, cool. So you're cycling between modeling and model evaluation mm-hmm. and until you have uh, something that can reliably answer the, the business question. Correct. All right, cool. So I'm hearing a three-step process of, of modeling, evaluating
1: the model, and as part of the evaluation, you're effectively scoring it? Exactly. So I take my model and I apply the model to a set of data that is known. And that's my test. That's my testing. Right, so I can see, I can look at a known outcome, and I can compare it to what my predictive outcome is. And then there's the evaluation stage where I, again, score it, but I don't have the actual to compare it to. So this is where i got to run a campaign, or I've got to somehow generate that actual in order to, to really um, evaluate it. This kind of leads into the next piece of the deployment process and how that works. Which some people are calling it analytic ops today.
0: Okay, so that piece uh, assumes that you have a model that's been evaluated, you like how it's scoring, and you've done that iteration several times until you're happy. Exactly. Is this the process then of actually deploying that against uh, real live data? Yes.
1: Yes but perhaps even streaming data, right? It can be daily batch, it can be whatever it is. I mean, depend, again, depending on what your business problem is, is all about uh, and how you've defined going about wanting to address it, right? It might do it daily, monthly, whatever. Gotcha, so if you're trying to understand why someone's abandoning an online cart,
0: you might take data from people that are currently shopping and try to kind of predict that as the new uh, transactions come in.
1: Exactly, maybe steer them to another page if they dropped last time. Uh, Service up uh, an offer to them um, based on maybe something they saw last time.
0: Oh, so you're happy with the algorithm? You're happy with how it scores, and now you're deploying the model in hopes of actually improving that metric, and trying to answer the question of how do
1: we keep people from abandoning their online cart? Right, because that was my business problem. I have too many abandoned carts. Okay, that's the model that we that we uh, that we built. So,
0: so deployment. You also mentioned the word analytics ops. This is sort of, I guess, an adjunct to
1: DevOps, where you're taking these analytics and you're trying to figure out how to deploy them at scale? Deploy them at scale and manage their lifecycle. And that's that's really key to the whole thing. We've been real successful in, in deploying things at scale. Um, it's a little harder, though, once you have many, many of these in a production environment and a wide variety of different types of applications, which might be your your website example. It might be some campaigns that I'm running. We have customers with tens of thousands of these models in production. What? Yes. Yeah, I had no idea the order of magnitude was that high. Yeah, uh, and and really, I mean, the, that that particular one that I'm thinking right now, I, although I can't say the name, is a retailer, um, so they don't have the huge wide data sets that we talked about with with high tech manufacturing. So, um, but they still have literally over ten thousand models wow. that they have in production that they run every single night, and. This is, this is something that can't be eyeballed every morning. and say, Hey, is that model still, still producing? Is it still accurate? You know, my data's changed. Maybe my business has changed slightly. Maybe I have different ads that I've sent out or, or, or what have you. Um, and this is, this is the whole analytic ops thing. So I need to automate the process of having all these models in production because a human can't do it themselves. Okay, so there's, there's something actually monitoring the scoring on an ongoing basis. Is that true? There's something that, that needs to monitor on an ongoing basis. Models decay over time. That's just the way it is. Your data is going to change. The model is going to change. And if you don't monitor it, if you don't keep looking at your evaluation criteria over and over again, chances are you're hurting yourself. You're hurting your business. So the ideal analytic ops environment is an, is an automated thing that looks at all of your models looks at the evaluation criteria for those models and is notifying your your domain expert or is notifying your um, data scientists that hey you know here's a here's a maybe this is a yellow alert and maybe the next day it's you know orange alert and the next day after that it's a red alert we really need to do something about it. It's also an environment where as a data scientist I can say, hmm, you know that thing's been in production for a month now. We've got pretty good, you know, we've got pretty good um, uh, results with it to date. But I thought about this other data I might be add to it. I thought about these new variables I might add to it. You know, I thought about a new way of, of representing it somehow, and I build that model, and then I kind of throw it up there. Right? This here's my challenger model, and it's going to go to the for lack of a better word, champion model that's in production already, and they're going to have a bake-off, right? Who's better? Wait, I thought there were champions, but you're saying this is a baking contest?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was more like, you know, uh, in the ring. But, yeah, but maybe baking. it's more
1: rock'em, sock'em, do Oh, that's I don't know. perfect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so red versus blue. Yes, red versus blue. And um, it's, it's a way of um, just cont- being real agile with your data science process, right? Continually trying to, trying to get better, at it Uh, and again it might just be you're just retraining that model right maybe the data has changed so much that you need to tweak the coefficients or you need to tweak the rules out of the business tree what have you so you need to retrain this thing
0: I could see a scenario where even if you change the design of of a site of a shopping site that might be enough to change consumer behavior in a way that hurts the scoring of the model
1: absolutely Okay, so this is
0: an ongoing process, and you're always trying to make it better.
1: That's probably a good example of where you're going to want to actually regenerate your data, your variables, because now that you've given them a whole new user experience for your website. Um, Those variables might not be pertinent anymore, right? So that's where you're going to go back and maybe you do the champion-challenger thing versus maybe my data has just changed slightly. Maybe it's a seasonal type of a thing, and I just want to retrain my model.
0: So understanding the business problem, it always comes first and is always a reference for the subsequent steps. You do the exploratory data analysis, and what's your kind of one sentence summary of that?
1: I really need to understand the statistical properties of my raw data that I'm gonna use in my analytics, whether that be, a univariate statistic, like an average or a median, or whether that might be a distrib- how my data is distributed, uh, whether there's outliers in it, et cetera. So we're just kind of searching for patterns. We're using tools to help us search for patterns. Absolutely. And visualization plays a big part in this. And I'm really trying to qualify the data at my disposal that it's valid for this analytic that I'm going to
0: build. Gotcha. And then we go into step three, which is data prep. That's things like cleanup, as you mentioned.
1: Things like cleanup, things like dealing with my outliers, uh, dealing with things like collinearity when two variables are, are related. And then it gets into the feature engineering where you're actually generating variables from that raw data, rolling up your data to that observation format in the course of doing that, and this is the whole kind of art of data science that I said that really takes that domain expertise along with the data science to come up with a solid analytic data set. Nice. And then you move on to the modeling. We move up to modeling a variety of techniques, right? This is a lot A lot of the hype that I, that I think that's out there is really related to the, the volume of the modeling algorithms available.
0: And that even covers AI and
1: ML, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've heard talks where I go in there and people are talking about linear regression as a, as a machine learning technique, and I'm a little bit blown away by the whole thing because we didn't have too many machines back in the 19th century, right? So I'm not <laughs> sure how they would learn. So, so I think this is where a lot of the hype comes from. And we talked about, let's get through the hype and let's talk about, here's our supervised techniques for classification and regression. Here's our unsupervised techniques for clustering and segmentation text analytics and time series and analytics, and, and that's going to get you 90% of where you want to be today. And as you do those things, then we move on to the next
0: steps, which are evaluation and scoring. That's where we iterate. We try to determine which algorithms are effective at answering the business problem
1: right? You're using a variety of techniques. You're comparing the different models that you come up with. Um, you're testing it against known data, known outcomes. Um, and, and then you're doing your ultimate value, evaluation as new data comes in and you're you know, monitoring whatever it is you're trying to predict.
0: Right. I mean, that's the fascinating part. In theory, you move on to model deployment, but the modeling and the model evaluation and the model scoring really never ends.
1: Exactly. That's all part of the analytic ops, right? You're continually going to be building these models. You're going to be tweaking the existing ones. Like I said, it might be just a retraining exercise, but you might reintroduce new data. Um, you might tweak the parameters of the model, change the depth of your tree or, you know, tweak a, a statistic with regard to the coefficients that are regression. Thanks. There's just a, there's a, a huge number of different options that you can do to influence the way that these models are built. Teradata obviously makes an
0: analytic platform called Teradata Manage. How are we trying to make this a better world for data
1: scientists? The last 20 years of my career has been focused on pushing analytics down to the data. And in the past, what that has meant to us is that I've got to push it into this relational engine. And that got us a decent way down the road. But at the end of the day... There are things that are just not practically done in that environment. And so what we're doing as part of Vantage is in addition to that SQL engine that we've had, we're introducing new engines. And the first ones that are coming out are based on machine learning and graph technologies. And the way that this will work is that the end user is still querying the database, but we have an orchestration layer that allows us to redirect a query to the machine learning engine if that's applicable or the graph engine and return those results back to you.
0: So the SQL engine remains a source of truth, but we are streaming the data as necessary
1: to do some of this. Exactly. So we used to say in database analytics at all cost. Now it's in platform analytics. In platform analytics. Absolutely. The, the engines don't have any persistence. So they don't own the data. The ter- Teradata owns that data. And we're, using a, we're looking at other techniques as well for external uh, blob storage like S3 or, or Azure, Azure Blobs as well uh, as part of all this. Uh, but the idea is these engines are there for compute purposes. They're, they're, it's their job in life to build these models that we've been talking yeah. about.
0: So we retain the massively parallel data store of Teradata Database,
1: but we've got all these
0: compute engines orchestrated with that. So as far as you're concerned, it's just a SQL query.
1: Exactly. And the other thing that's, that's equally important is we're doing special things for some of these really popular analytic languages like R and Python, right? So you might as an or Python user, not want to craft a SQL statement to call your general linear modeling as one example. Great. We have an R interface for doing that. We have a Python interface for doing that. We also have the capability of actually pushing the R and Python execution down to other engines in the database as well. So at the end of the day, this, these engines are on a massively parallel platform.
0: So Teradata Database is known for being the fastest database in the world, in large part because of its massive parallelization. You're saying that I can actually use R to take advantage and do some
1: of this work massively paralyzed across the database. That's correct. And that's really been a big criticism of some of these tools like, like R and Python in the past is that they're memory bound. You can only do so much in memory and they don't scale. Right, And we've heard customer after customer tell us about this, we're able to, to do a lot of optimization, just interior data itself. This kind of takes it to a whole new level. There's really great other tools out there that interface very well to the R and Python world, right? namely Spark and TensorFlow. And those are the two engines that we're working on next. So we're going to have a really nice mix of our commercial Uh, analytics and machine learning algorithms, and open source as well, and that's kind of the future of uh, Vantage and where we're going. So our goal is that Vantage
0: can be a one-stop shop for your data science requirements. And so that means that our goal is to make
1: Teradata Vantage the best place to do data science. That is our goal. At the end of the day, we want a data scientist, their domain expert, their business experts to be able to use the same platform against the same data, work together in harmony, and build the best models that they can. I love it. Tim, thanks so much for your time. Thanks
0: for educating all of us about data science processes and about uh, how we're trying to make that world better in Teradata Advantage.
1: You're welcome. It was great talking to you. This
0: has been Datacast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like the show, you can help us out by reviewing it in your podcast app of choice and by recommending it to friends. All they need to do is search for Teradata or Datacast in their favorite podcast app. To learn more about how Teradata transforms how businesses work and how people live through the power of data, visit us at teradata.com.